a Ratio Marketing Podcast. Welcome back to Ratio Studios in another episode of Healthcare Market Matrix. Today, we have a special treat for you. We're going to revisit one of our most popular episodes featuring Stephanie Lahr, the president of Artisite. And for those of you who might be new to our show, this episode is a must-listen. Stephanie is a clinician turned health system informaticist turned solution vendor, and she dives into the crucial topic of creating systemic change in healthcare. It's a conversation filled with invaluable insights. And as we gear up for conference season and many of our community members are already getting ready to hit the road, Stephanie underscores a number of important ideas that you would do well to carry with you and incorporate in your messaging and the conversations you have at Becker's and Health next month. Stephanie's journey began as an internal medicine physician, but her fascination with the intersection of health, IT, and care delivery has led her down a unique path. So without further ado, let's dive back into this great conversation. And what I was seeing was rising levels of burnout um, and frustration with the systems that we were using. They weren't designed around the work of a clinician. They were designed as an additive to that work. And so my two mantras kind of became, you know, hashtag reduce the friction, hashtag bring back the joy to medicine. Have you ever wished you had a healthcare provider on speed dial? Someone you could call to validate your product market fit. Someone to listen and help you see your solution differently. Welcome to Healthcare Market Matrix, a podcast to help you see your market clearly. We dive deep into the challenges faced by healthcare organization leaders that technology has the chance to help them solve. It's all about gaining the kind of understanding you need to effectively connect with your market. Join us as we explore the Healthcare Market Matrix. Welcome, everybody, to Healthcare Market Matrix. We are excited today to have in the, our studios Stephanie Lahr, who is the former CIO and CMIO of Monument Health, but is now the president of Artisite. And Stephanie, I would love to start out by having you tell us a little bit about your journey. What you know? Uh, tell us a little bit about your background and backdrop, what led you into the realm of the CIO, CMIO, and then really the story about how you got to Artisite, because I think that that, uh, that says a lot about who you are and how you approach your work. But I'd, I'd love to have you tell us that story. Thanks, John. Really excited to be here and happy to share that story. Maybe first of all, because I guess what I would say generally in principle, as I look at my career, um, not doesn't follow a normal trajectory. <laughs> no one is, would look at the starting point and where I am now and say, yeah, that was a, definitely a straight line. <laughs> nothing even close to that. So, um, which I think is great, right? I I think breaking the bounds of that and and following your true inspiration and going where you think you need to go is is what we really want to all be able to do. And so it's fun for me to be able to share how that's progressed in my journey. So as you mentioned, so maybe first starting with, I'm an internal internal medicine physician by background and practiced as a hospitalist for lots of years but found myself very early in my career um, kind of at that intersection of health IT and care delivery and really doing it more from the perspective of a physician who realized we were going to be leveraging technology in new ways, saw the value in that, 
but also saw the opportunity for it to be better than it was and realized that sitting on the sidelines and complaining was probably not going to be a super mm-hmm. effective way to make things better. And so I should just jump in and figure out how I could be helpful. That then turned into, again, more of a career becoming board certified in clinical informatics and really developing an acumen and and education and understanding about how I could apply my skills best in that space. At Monument, I I came to the organization in 2016 to be the CMIO to lead uh, an EPIC implementation and uh, really work with the clinical teams on the adoption of of a system across a platform system across the whole health system Mm -hmm. and uh, for the betterment of our community. And got that work done, big project, a lot of fun, a lot of work, made really great connections into the community at large, as well as within the health system, Um, realized that, you know, I wanted to provide as much value here as I could. And around the time that that was all coming to fruition, the CIO that I reported to was, was retiring. And the CEO of the health system at the time came to me and said, gosh, it seems like it could make sense to have a physician be the leader of our um, IT uh, teams and really help set that strategy and make sure that it's unified with where we're going directionally as when the organization at large. Um, and would you be willing to be the CIO? And so I thought, well, I'm not 100% sure what that even means or what I'll be doing, but yes, I'll do it. And uh, surrounded myself again with a good network of people uh, and mentors who could help support, never afraid to ask those folks a question on kind of where to go and how to do things and dove into that work. And so in 2018, in January of 2018, I took on the combined role of CIO and CMIO. And the great part about that combined role is I got to take a much broader look at technology and how it was used across the health system. And that meant everything from looking at the network uh, and network stability and how the infrastructure of the um, of the, our network and our data centers and, and how data moved and flowed was going to be essential to all of the clinical applications that we would want to lay on top of it and bringing that together and helping our teams set the vision and the priorities and translate that to the operational leaders um, of the of our uh, healthcare community was was really a, a great experience for me. During the time I was doing that work, um, I was I got more dedicated to this concept that we have a lot of great base systems and they are providing a great foundation for where we need to go, but we need to start thinking about the actual clinicians and the work that they're doing and the impact of this technology on them. And what I was seeing was rising levels of burnout um, and frustration with the systems that we were using, not necessarily because the systems themselves were were wrong in some way, but just they weren't designed for the work. They weren't designed around the work of a clinician. They were designed as an additive to that work. And so my two mantras kind of became, you know, hashtag reduce the friction, hashtag bring back the joy to medicine. And I meant that in a really broad way. So I started looking for tools and ways to help our organization move beyond some of that. And fortunately, I had the blessing of being at an organization that wanted to be forward thinking and was willing to try some things others hadn't. So in June of 2021, uh, with alongside my chief nursing officer, we went to an innovation meeting with several other health systems in California, where we were introduced to um, a company called Artisite. And I was told uh, as we went into that meeting, you know, I think you're going to really like this. Um, The CEO is another physician. 
And uh, I think there, you know, the direction is a great direction, but we want your real thoughts and opinions on this. And I go into pitches like that typically a little bit skeptical, keeps me honest from, you know, the shiny butterfly syndrome. And so uh, I went in and, and sort of hilariously in walked this young um, guy in a baseball cap and a Lululemon sweatshirt. And I thought, this is interesting. And, uh, and then 45 minutes later, we were all just completely captivated. The, the solution that he was talking about, leveraging uh, computer vision and other sensors to automate care at the bedside, really focused on what are the work, what's the work of our clinicians and what is the work that they are doing that probably doesn't need to be done by them? And how do we start to unwind that? How do we give them that time back, that opportunity to be more present with patients and focused on that care? And so we were extremely compelled, came back to the organization, um, shared that with our senior leadership team, had an opportunity through the board to um, propose this as an innovation project and and jumped into this idea of really um, figuring out how we could use this platform across the entirety of our organization to transform, uh, knowing that transformation in healthcare is a journey um, more than it is um, a destination. And it's not something that's going to happen overnight. And so it was really this sense of we got to get started now because it's going to take a while for us to get what what we need to get done. So we jumped right in, started with some initial projects uh, around some problems that we needed to solve. Things like even just hand hygiene, monitoring, assisting our um, our remote sitter program uh, with technology that could help them identify falls, uh, leveraging algorithms, working with uh, remote nursing opportunities, looking at our ORs and optimization. And as we started this work, I, at the same time, um, was involved in Chime leadership and, um, and HIMS leadership as well, to an extent, had a number of opportunities to speak on podcasts and national platforms. And just found that I couldn't help myself from starting to tell this story. Even though it was just at the beginning, I just thought everybody needs to know that this kind of technology is really finally here. And when our physicians look at us and our nurses look at us quizzically like, really, another technology? And you're sure it's going to help me? Because I don't know. I felt with utter confidence, like the answer is yes, this is going to help. And so uh, the CEO, Andrew, and I started some conversations and he said, gosh, you seem pretty excited about this work. Um, and uh, and I said, well, I, you know, I, I think it's the future. And he said, well, great. How about a future here at Artisite where you can bring your knowledge and experience both as a physician, as a leader um, in an organization and a health IT leader and help us grow and expand and be the best that we can be as a company. And um, and I think his last words to me after I signed my letter were, my offer letter were, okay, let's go fix healthcare. So that's what we're on a journey to do. No small, no small mandate. That's, that's yeah. awesome. So uh, several rewinds I'd like to take here and a few bus stops I'd like to make. So starting your journey as a clinician, you know, you, you were your doctor, hospital, you said hospitalist, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you remember the moment that was kind of the, the, the transition or what got you inform- interested in jumping into the CMIO role? Because that's a big move. And, and a very different focus. Worth saying, chief medical information officers are almost always, if not always, physicians, right? Almost um, always, yeah. Yeah. And so 
what was that moment? What what got you to look at that role, and what was the what was the mandate that you saw there that got you interested? Yeah. Well, maybe a quick rewind further than that. It's kind of where the passion around this area came from. I trained in Galveston, Texas. Uh, it was where I was doing my internal medicine residency. And I don't know if I've told you this story before, but um, we had a hurricane uh, in 2008, Hurricane Ike. Yeah. And I had five feet of water in my own house. Wow. Um, the university system basically closed for many months because the infrastructure of the entire island was was gone. There was no power. There was no running water, nothing. But we had obviously thousands of patients that were also going through an extreme time and displaced and needed guidance. And so we had been um, in the fortunate position of going through actually an epic implementation uh, just a couple of years before that, which was pretty early, you know, in that whole time frame, because this is like 2005, 2006. But the great thing was because we were electronic at that point, two weeks after the storm, maybe even a little less, I was um, asked to go to because I was almost done with my residency. So I, you know, was pretty well equipped to go ahead and start handling and treating patients on my own with with minimal supervision. And so I was given an office. I don't even think it had any windows um, and a computer and a fax machine and a telephone. And they said, patients are going to call. There's messages in the system. We need to help them. And I had everything I needed. I could see all of their hospitalization records, all of their clinic records, all of their prescriptions. Uh, I could resend prescriptions to new places. I could send records to clinics or hospitals where they maybe were receiving care because they couldn't receive it from us. And it was really, really powerful because I knew and had been a part of the health system when we were on paper. And all of those records were literally soggy and underwater wow. 20 miles away. And we would never have been able to provide the support to the community that we needed to do during that time um, of crisis for them, but also for us if we didn't have that platform. And so that was a moment for me where I was like, okay, this is the way the world is going. We have to do this and we have to do it as well as we can. So when I went into private practice, honestly, it kind of just happened organically. I was very interested in helping be a part, again, of the solution. Um, I met with the CEO of the health system. I remember during my interview, I said, hey, do you use an EHR? And can I be kind of a part of what your work is in that space? And he looked at me like, wait, <laughs> rewind. You're a doctor who was interested in using an EHR and wants to help. <laughs> I've never seen that before. <laughs> I've never seen this before. Um, and, and again, it was pretty early. In fact, at, this was a time when uh, organizations like AMDIS, the American Medical Director for Information Systems Organization, was alive and well, but CMIO wasn't even a term. It was Medical Directors of Information Systems. Yeah, right? which is, and, and CMIO is a relatively recent I mean, rel yeah. relatively recent position, right? And yeah. and if I'm understanding right, if I were to characterize this role, it's essentially the the nexus within a hospital or provider organization that bridges the gap between practicing clinicians and the IT department. Is that yeah. a fair it's the characterization? Translator. Absolutely. And, and what so, happened for me? Yep, I was I was dealing with my own partners, and then the leadership team of IT said, "How about go talk to the ER doctors." Could you go talk to the ICU docs? Hey, the physical therapists are struggling something. Maybe you could help them too. And I, and then and we had nurse informaticists already in the organization. And so it really just became this symbiosis with me as kind of the leader of then that informatics team to, again, take 
what were the needs of the operational teams and translate them into what we could and couldn't do with technology. Because sometimes being a CMIO means saying no. Yeah. Um, it's not always about saying yes, but it's figuring out how to turn that no into something that can still be impactful and positive. And so you really had to know and learn the technology side as well um, and then translate the two across to each other. Did you find yourself in that role? Were you more f- most often going from clinicians up or IT down? And I, I put that in an unfortunate hierarchy because it doesn't need to be up or down, but you know what I mean. I mean, which, which direction were you most frequently advocating in? Yeah, I was most frequently advocating to the technical teams what the clinicians needed. Um, yeah. you know, and, and the other thing was actually bringing together even from different clinical um, uh, areas how to do synergist and a synergistic approach. So as an example, um, you know, pharmacy may have felt they needed one thing, but it had an impact on physicians that they didn't want and then maybe an uh, impact on nursing that they didn't want. And so it wasn't even always just translating to IT what the needs were of of the teams, but it was sometimes interrelational communication between clinicians to say, I understand that pharmacy really needs this. Is there a way that we can do that that doesn't cause this secondary issue for the physicians? And prior to that, there was nobody doing that work. And so you ended up in situations where actually typically what happened is you blamed the technology. Well, if this stupid system could just do it like this, you know, it would be fine. And then we dig in and say, oh, as a matter of fact, it can. How did we arrive at this decision? Oh, we arrived at this decision because we asked one group how it needed to work because it was the pharmacy module. So we asked pharmacists. Well, the pharmacy module lives inside an ecosystem of a whole bunch of other things. And so that was actually a lot of the work was bringing multi-disciplines of even clinicians together and figuring out uniformly what did we need as a group so that that right. could be translated to IT. Because IT can do a lot of things, but they can't code it two ways, one way for pharmacy and one way for physicians. That's why we went to platforms was to eliminate that. So that was a lot of those conversations. And so you're really in that role. Of very, you said translation layer, which I think is a, a really good, but also just a very active problem solver. You know, just working very hard to say, okay, we've got this capability, this piece of technology, this this piece of infrastructure that is a little bit of a square peg. We got to sand off some of these edges to make sure it, it it slots in here the way the clinicians need it, and will fit their workflow, will fit their the way they they want to do their jobs. It's never going to be a perfect match, but it's your job in that sense to make it the best match it can be. Yeah. The other thing I think was really amazing about the CMIO role and most of the CMIOs that I meet, CMIOs and the other informaticists in the technolo- on the technology teams or in organizations tend to know more about how the organization works at its deepest level than, than anyone else. else. <laughs> because our tools will never work right if it doesn't tie in well to what the workflows are. And if you tell us this is your workflow, and then we go and build the system to do it, and really, that's not actually how you do it. You just didn't maybe want to say, well, in real life, every day we do it like this. 
So then we'd go in when things were broken and figure out like, well, what's really going on here? And then we'd un, you know, unravel the layers of, so actually you don't do it like that 80% of the time. And so a lot of it too was creating first a safe environment to say, don't tell me what I want to hear. You guys are clinicians. Do you want a patient to tell you what you want to hear? Or do you want a patient to tell you the truth? We're in the same place. We want to build tools that work for you, but I have to know your real work in order to do that. And so it it was an amazing place to be and also made a CMIO a really great strategic leader for an organization at large, because when an organization is looking at strategic vision and goals that they have to accomplish, the CMIO can tell you a lot of the deep, dark secrets you may not know that are going to have to be worked through in order to make those kinds of transformational changes. Um, It can be a challenging place to be too, because it means you know where most of the frustrations and challenges are. And that's kind of the space that you live in. But knowing that you're chipping away at those and setting and helping to set a new vision um, and hoping that you also then execute on that is where where the fun comes. And so if you're uh, if you're bringing a product to market that has a strong tie to the clinician that solves a real problem that they're facing but maybe it has a pretty steep curve to get it integrated or adopted in, in the system, the, the, the CMIO is going to be a good place for you to start your process because they're going to know the anatomy of what it's going to take to, to connect the dots. Or, if, it's, or it will, if it will even make sense and fit. Because at the yeah. end of the day, they have a very integral knowledge of... They, they just don't know... <laughs> they don't just know the 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 clinical side of it, but they know the 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 spectrum of what it's going to take to make it actually happen and make sense. Yeah, absolutely. And and organizations that are lucky enough to be of size where they have a CNIO or a Chief Nursing Information Officer, same kind of thing, right? There's a whole informatics in nursing um, has has been probably in place longer than even on the physician side. Yep. And so, again, really strong advocates and people that you want to work through. Not only, I mean, yes, if you're trying to sell something, they're a great person to get that advocacy from. But actually, beyond that, advisory, right? I, I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of companies that would benefit from having, it doesn't have to be anything massive, but an advisory kind of group that helps make sure that where they're going is aligned with the problems they think they're trying to solve. And CMIOs and CNIOs are fabulous at that because they sit at that intersection all the time and they can give you objective feedback. Yeah. They know, they know actually, actually what's happening. (laughs) Yeah, which, and which is they have really administrative important. time to, to probably be able to dedicate to that, right? Asking a practicing physician, can you be on an advisory board for a surgical tool? Honestly, probably not. They're just too busy taking care of patients and we want them to do that. CMIOs and CNIOs are in an administrative role and, and it does give them that opportunity. Gotcha. Okay, that is, that, that is some great perspective. So you made what I think is the unusual bridge from CMIO to CIO because there there are far fewer physicians in the CIO role from my experience. Uh, talk about what that looked like for you and what that what it meant to cross that bridge practically. Yeah, I think well, first of all, it is it, it is a small but mighty and and I think growing uh, group of people. 
And I, I think it's happening. And appropriately so. I yeah, think, I was going right? to I don't think it's happening by accident. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> it's, a, it's a hospital after all. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's the reason we're now seeing CEOs of health systems be physicians as well. And, and probably not surprising then to put the CIO not that far behind it, depending on the role of the CIO. And that's unique chief digital officers, chief healthcare information officers. Like there's different yep. ways to structure this. But having a physician um, sort of at the helm of providing the strategic visioning leadership um, and back to the rest of the senior leadership team, the partnership on kind of how to drive the ship makes a ton of sense because the reality is medicine is becoming more and more dependent on technology every day. And so ensuring that that alignment is there is going to be essential. This is not just a commodity anymore. Uh, IT is not just a ticket taker shop, nor are the clinicians people that we're just going to force technology onto. There has to be that unification of the two to make sure that we're all solving the right problems. So, you know, for and me... Just to, and just to level set, you know, yeah. you're, so you're moving from the the bridge, right? The The bridge between the hospital and the and the IT department to the IT department. So the CIO, if I'm if I'm were to characterize that position, they're overseeing the selection and implementation, optimization of anything information technology related. So they are they're the ones that are that you know making that piece happen, and they're typically reporting to. I, I, I'm guessing most often reporting to the CEO at that in that situation. Is that Yeah. I mean, this is evolutionary as well, but as we see the CIO or whatever letter you're going to put in there become more of a strategic part of the team, I think it is definitely more and more common. I reported to the CEO um, and I I think a lot of my colleagues are in that space. So yes, I mean, as far as, you know, the decision-making, obviously we tried to make that more of a governance related opportunity, but the reality was all of the coordination and then making sure that the right resources at the right time were deployed to make sure all of those things happened was my responsibility. I had several hundred people reporting to me. I had tens of millions of dollars in budget. That was my responsibility and and a strategic vision to help um Set alongside my other um, leaders to make sure that the foundations that we were going to set in technology were going to get us to where we needed to go, but that we were at the same time being visionary and forward thinking uh, because we know that technology was moving so fast that we had to be thinking several years out. So that was, it was a growth experience for me. I certainly had never had, um, nobody in medical school teaches you how to manage a 30 or 40 or 50 or $150 million budget. Nobody uh, teaches you exactly what it means to be uh, a visionary leader. In fact, some of medical school is the antithesis of that, right? I mean, the the doctor is kind of the the tip of a different kind of team. And while team-based care has become much more common, and I think was a great element for me as a hospitalist coming into this, um, that's different than leading large teams and providing vision without micromanaging. We as doctors can tend to be micromanagers because that's, the that's life of a person yeah. is at risk. And so 
being able to take a step back and allow other leaders to grow, to cultivate other leaders was a different, you know, area that I had to go out and really do some purposeful work in figuring out how do I know myself? What are my shortcomings? And how do I grow in these areas to be a better leader? Yeah. So what was, when you moved from, from that position, which I would say is certainly on the, um, the clinical side of the spectrum from the, the CMIO into the CIO, which goes far more into the business and transformation side of the, the spectrum, right? Yeah. What, how would you characterize the, the primary mind shift or, or change you had to make in your, or you know, what, what maybe caught you by surprise or what, may, what move did you have to make to inhabit that space? I, as a physician, had to realize that attorneys are my friends. <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which That's a big shift. <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, really, I remember the first couple of meetings as the CIO that I had with our attorneys. I was as nervous. I, it, you would have thought that I was personally like being investigated for something, even though it was never anything to do with that. But just the physician in me kept thinking, you know, malpractice and all those kinds yeah. of things. So danger, it took some danger, time. danger. <laughs> yes, exactly. Danger ahead. It took some time. And actually, by the time I left the organization, I would say the legal team were probably some of my closest partners. Uh, and even at Artisite, I find myself saying, I just want to run this past our attorneys, which, so that was, that was probably a big part. The CFO relationship, also a major element that I needed to cultivate and understand because the reality was I was now the person who had to make sure that we had the money to do the things we needed and wanted to do and how to translate that and how to justify that and create the ROI on that, which meant from an infrastructure standpoint, you had one of the biggest budgets on the Absolutely. Right. Which made, made, uh, brought a lot of attention as well. So I needed to learn about budgets. I needed to, you know, for me, I was like capital and operating. Why do we have a difference? It seems weird. (laughs) Just like, just let's have one bucket of money. Why does it have to be like this? Right. So these were things that I had to learn why they are the way they are. Sometimes it's, you don't need to ask necessarily why all the way to the deepest levels, but like, this is how it is. And just you're going to have to work around it. Um, but understanding that, and then again, creating that partnership with the CFO so that I could understand from their perspective, what the challenges were and figure out how to bring those things together. So those yeah. were unique relationships that I had to foster that really were not on my radar at all as a CMIO. So one of the things that I am aware of, as we look at this particular position is that if I look at at, you know, coming at it from a, I'm, I'm a health tech company. I'm trying to find my way into a hospital system. I, I would venture to guess that maybe other than the CEO, the CIO has the biggest hedge of protection around them because, oh my gosh, I think every, uh, if you walk the floor at HIMSS, I think everybody in that space has on their, uh, on their list of ideal targets, the C, the CIO is pretty much on there. If not the primary, certainly a secondary, yeah. which means that, you know, you, you're not giving anybody your real email. You're not giving, <laughs> <laughs> you're, how, how do you, so talk about that. Like if, if, if somebody is trying to get an idea across, how, how are you taking in information? How are you, yeah. you know, how, how are people engaging with you? 
I, you're definitely right. I mean, I got hundreds of emails a day. Uh, in fact, even still, let's um, just I let's think- just pause for a second. Hundreds of emails a day. So a let's day. just you know let's just so what what is possible about you know it's not possible to it's not. So <laughs> honestly, mostly what that meant was don't bother. If yeah. you're sending an email that's you know some sort of quick pitch of what your what your product is the likelihood that I was going to look at it was almost zero. Every once in a while, typically what I would do in the morning, because a lot of them came in right through everybody's CRMs, they all send them out at some time in the morning. Um, and so Tuesdays, Tuesday, to yes, exactly. So I, in the morning I would kind of get up and over coffee, I'd hit edit on my phone and I'd just start swiping down and I would select literally everything. And I'd quickly kind of glance at what the title was Um, but if it was some, if it wasn't a person I recognized and something that didn't really stand out, it was mostly just a massive delete. Once in a while, something would stand out. People ask me all the time, what is that something? (laughs) I'll be honest. It was random. Like I almost think it was like divine intervention every (laughs) once in a while, for some reason I'd stop on something and I'd open it and oftentimes be like, huh, I actually might be interested in this. And then I push it out to my team or whatever, but email in general, terrible. Um, a couple of things I say while, while we're on the topic of not working, I, it was very frustrating. People get very aggressive about this, right? It's a, it's a little like paparazzi esque, right? Like there's, there's the cool nature of, yes, we know you're trying to sell something and you need access to me, but then there's the crossing the line into not appropriate, People who just put calendar invites on your calendar as though they've sent you, you know, whatever, super annoying. CRM messages in general, I can see that from a mile away. At a minimum, I love it. In fact, I I have a a colleague who has a company and it literally says in the body of his message, this was, this message is generated by my CRM and I just, but I hear, I need to send out a mass communication. And so I'm just letting you know that this is where it's from. I could tell by, if it said, you know, even how it was titled to me, I could often tell what was generating it. So those are not good things to do. Um, I will say though, that I felt, so you talk about the wall. It took a couple of years. I, I was, I felt like I was a wall a lot. And I said, I put blocks up and I said, look, I'll come find you when I'm ready. I realized that that was not a good approach because there was hmm. so much out there and so much changing. Yep. I was putting a huge bias on what I could potentially bring into the organization because it was only through my own lens that I was willing to talk to somebody. So I actually started participating in some of, and this was during the pandemic when they were virtual, some of these virtual kinds of conferences, they're, they're pay to play kind of the 30 minute speed dating um, I, that's one of the things I really love about the Vive conference is, you know, how that structure that they have. I think those You're are talking great, about like the hosted buyer, hosted buyer program yeah. or reverse expo or whatever different people call it. But it's basically, you know, somewhere between five and 30 minutes of time where you just meet and hear about things. And the value of that is even though there were a number of times that that was not a, a tool set that I needed at the moment. Sometimes I filed it away for later because I thought, I think this is on our path, just not right now. Um, or there were other th- times that made me say, I don't even know if I've thought about that yet. And then I'd go back to my team and say, have we thought? And then I'd go to colleagues across the nation and I'd say, 
are you guys thinking about this yet? And sometimes they'd say, yeah, we are. And I'm like, gosh, I didn't even realize like that was coming at us. I need to start digging in and understanding. Yeah. So I do think those kinds of programs um, provide value, but it's hard, right? Because the volume is so high um, that you have to you have to cut things off somewhere. So I do like those kinds of programs. I do like, I, I, a lot of it is colleague kinds of conversations as well, getting together with colleagues, both physically and virtually and saying, what are you using for this? Are you, do you like this? What would you do differently? That kind of stuff. But it's a hard place to be as on the vendor side, which I now am recognizing and seeing from a different viewpoint. You are, you're on the other side. Um, yeah, it is. So one of the things I hear very frequently from, from our clients, from, from others in the industry is, you know, we, we have great success when we get the opportunity to have a conversation. And it's that second part of that clause. It's the secondary clause there. When we get the opportunity to have the conversation, that is, is so pivotal, right? Because how do you get that? How, how is that possible? You know, I think it's, it ends up being a big part of marketing's challenge to, to compel that conversation to happen. How do, you, how do you get people to the point where they want to have that conversation? And, and that's not an easy thing, especially when you're looking at somebody like a, a CIO. And so, so talk a little bit about how, when you are in that realm, so certainly... This, I hear the speed dating, the, the hosted buyer frameworks, those forums that afford uh, organizations to get in and at least help somebody into how to think about the problem differently, because mm-hmm. that's part of it, right? You're, you're a CIO, you're in the middle of a, bu- of a storm, you're not able to keep tabs on every new thing that's coming out or every new uh, approach to things that might be applicable. And so having somebody opportunity to tell you the story, I mean, it's what you guys are facing right now on Artisite. How do we think about this, this problem and, and how are we going to help the industry understand what, what's different and special about our solution? But what are some of, so, so I hear the hosted buyer things. What else, what other kinds of things can, can organizations do that might have a shot at getting through, at getting through? you know, what, what are some of the, the things that you've experienced in the past? Yeah, I think, um, well, and maybe this is, you know, hopefully this isn't super secret sauce I'm giving away for my own organization, <laughs> but, um, I came to an organization that already had clinical and healthcare people as a part of it. I think that is valuable in multiple ways. So the fact that we had physicians and nurses and operational leaders from health systems, that we have that at Artisite, gives us a couple of opportunities. One, it means we've got networks of people that we know from that side, from being on the operational side. And so we can um, we can reach into those networks. Two, it allows you to maybe take a role more as a thought leader and providing guidance to the greater community as opposed to selling a solution. Um, And so if you can have the people on your team that are in a position to be knowledgeable and have the expertise to really help the community at large understand, to your point, the things that we're trying to solve and the new ways to do it, you may have an opportunity to present yourselves in different forums than you would otherwise. And the other thing that happens when you have people who are coming from operations into into your companies is 
you're probably better targeted. Your, your, your solution is probably better targeted to the problem because you have inside knowledge as to what that problem is and then are much more likely to be able to solve it. Yeah, that, make, that makes great sense. I call it empathetic authority. I, I think if you're, as an organization, it's hard because there, you know, what I see is there's a lot of tech companies that are chasing an opportunity, right? They, they, they're coming to it you know, somewhere in an accelerator they were involved in, they, they realized that this part of healthcare needed, needed something and they saw some dollar signs associated with it and they, and they worked to put together a solution. That's kind of a gross general, you know, a gross way to put it, but it's actually not uncommon. Yeah. And, and so they'll, they'll get enough expertise to work to solve the problem. And a big chunk of what they're missing is the opportunity to, to, clearly connect the dots, you know, to, to, and that does require a lot of domain expertise and the ability, you know, that's one of the things I'm excited about and, and how Artisite is approaching it. We're selling into the clinical environment and we've got clinical leaders who've been there, done that leading the charge. And, and I think that that ends up really being not, not just transforming the approach to the market, but it transforms the approach to the solution you know, you're, you're, you're solving the problem in a way that makes sense because you've sat on that bridge. And yeah. And, and I, I think, think the, the empathy side of what you mentioned as well really resonates with me because I, I have been, and I, and I've said this, uh, even as now in the role that I'm in and in different partnership agreements that we're working on to grow as a company, I have said to people, I sat in a boardroom and I pitched as the CIO the solution that I wanted to bring to the organization that we had brought through governance and those kinds of things that we felt were going to, was going to take us forward every time. And I was successful at it most of the time, but every time I got the yes, someone else got a no. And sometimes that no was, we're not buying new hospital beds. The new nurse call system is going to have to wait while we do whatever this other thing is that I was leading Every dollar that a health system spends is extremely important to me. And the value that they are getting for that dollar is extremely important to me. And the concept and the idea of people taking advantage of the opportunity of here's a problem that needs to be solved, I can make a buck. Healthcare can't afford that. Especially now. Especially now, but really never. Margins at health systems have never been margins <laughs> to be admired. Yeah. And so they're doing a service for the community, for all of us. And so totally understand, even for a health system, no money, no mission, right? You, you, there has to be some back and forth exchange there. But foundationally, I can read that in my conversations with people. And if the conversation with you is really about sell, 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 I'm done because what it really needs to be about is solve, solve, solve. And value, 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 right? Value, value, value. Yeah. And that's what I'm hearing really clearly if I'm, if I'm getting what you're, so if you're a company coming to market and you're wanting to make, you know, from an empathetic perspective, (laughs) you better have your value equation very well articulated and ready to you know, documented, articulated and, and well constructed because if it's sketchy, or thin, you're putting, yeah, as the CIO, you're saying no to somebody to say yes to this solution. And 
it better be a really clear reason why. Because yeah. if it's not, uh, you know, I, I'm going to go with the clear reason because I'm working within margins and it's just, it, it is too critical. You know, we're talking yeah. about how, how we are advancing the cause. That makes, that makes sense. And something I see really, it, it's especially hard for early stage companies who haven't all, haven't been able to get all the way through the equations and don't have the proof text all the way worked out. But what I'm hearing is if you're going to invest some time, effort, energy on anything, it's to make sure that you've got a fine point on what those equations look like. It's well-researched, well-documented, and, uh, and something you can give, turn over to somebody and say, look, here's the real numbers. Is that? Yeah. And, and if you're still in that development phase, be willing to go into development relationships, right? Figure out how you're going to do your financing. One other thing that's amazing right now is because of all this attention in this space, you know, again, a little more challenging today, but still possible. There's tons of venture and private equity capital out there for companies to get them. That's what the whole point of that is, right? To get them through these early stages of development so that they can remain a company, but figure out what they really need to do. Um, and so partner, be honest with the health system and say, here's where we are today. Here's where we think we need to go. The reality is we need an ecosystem like yours to help us vet this out and do that a few times. Don't sell it if it's not ready to be sold. Find a way to build it together. And again, easier said than done. Something has to keep the money of the company going. Um, but I think those are times that you need to think about looking at you know, financing opportunities and those kinds of partnership agreements so that you can take the time to go out and really make sure that your tool meets the needs because nothing is worse on either side of this than tearing something out later. Yep, absolutely. We are um, so as we as we kind of uh, round round third and head for home here. If you were to kind of thumbnail some of the the meta pro the big problems up in the grill of the uh, some of the uh, I guess of an average. Let's start on the the CMIO realm. Like, what are some of the things you're aware of? systemically that are face that are broadly facing that position as problems and then the same question for the CIO but what do you what are you seeing as some of the meta issues that are really there yeah on the CMIO i think there's probably a couple two buckets i'd put it in one is the again the the burnout how um how do they help the clinicians use tools that will really be helpful how do we improve workflows um, and yet do it in a way that can be somewhat flexible because we know that not every physician wants to practice in exactly the same way um, or needs the same thing. And not every nurse is going to do the exact same thing. So how do we help find those tools that can improve those workflows? Um, and then the other thing I would say is probably on the decision support and the harnessing of all of the data that's out there. Um, as well as the quality of the data. So back to the sort of burnout side of things, one of the reasons we see a lot of burnout is because of the administrative tasks. So I think CMIOs are looking at ways, and CNIOs are looking at ways of protecting their clinical people from the one more click, right? Yep. Don't bring me a solution that is going to, yet create great data, <laughs> maybe, maybe not, but requires one more click because one more click literally could be the difference between a nurse quitting her job or his job today or not. Yeah. Cause um, you're already so you, 
several clicks. So adding one more is not a problem solve. (laughs) Correct. And then the other thing on the data side is there's so much to know. There's so much to uh, assimilate on an everyday basis, putting in, putting in front of us that, and things happen, um, you know, can happen almost silently if it's happening in front of your eyes, right? So how do we use the data to create triggers, to create decision support, to create reminders, to create communication flow so that as all of this data is coming in, we can actually do something with it because the human mind in and of itself is not going to be capable of digesting and using all of that information in real time. So how do we start to use it in ways where we can bring it to the right person at the right time for the right patient? Um, And that means then also getting to this point of almost precision-based care, right? What is the exact right blood pressure medicine for this patient patient. who lives in this place, who has this history, who all of those kinds of things. So there's tons of opportunity there. It's going to take us a while to get there, um, but we're not going to get there without, again, starting somewhere and marching our way toward it. And I think that, you know, our clinicians are really attuned and CMIOs are really attuned to how do we improve that. On the CIO side, I think it's thinking about the broader efficiencies of the organization at large. How do we help revenue cycle teams be efficient? How do we help, um, you know, even our IT teams be more efficient? How do we help the clinicians be more efficient? How do we bring the right data um, to our leaders so that they can make the best real-time decisions? How do we create new data that we've never had an opportunity to see before um, to be able to figure out directionally, are we, is this clinic moving in the right direction or not? And what changes might need to be made at at the hospital level? You know, are the ORs as efficient as they need to be, or are they not? It's going to be data that's necessary for that, um, and process changes that are going to be needed. And I think the CIO is looking at that globally, not just from the clinical side, but again, all of the rest of the areas uh, across the organization, because we're seeing shortages in all of those areas. We don't have enough people anywhere to do the amount of work that's necessary. Um, I will say, you know, there's a great book called Upstream. It's a healthcare-specific book, uh, and it talks about thinking upstream. I think this is a great book for anybody in our industry um, to read on whether which side of the aisle you're sitting on. It talks about um, moving from solving the problem that's sitting right in front of us to solving the upstream problem, right? It starts with that old story about there's kids in a river and somebody's walking by the river and they see this kid in the river and they go and rescue him. Oh, good. We, We rescued the child. That happens four or five times. They pull like five kids out of the water and the one person that's helping to do the rescue, the two people that are there, he takes off and runs up you know, heads up the river. And the other person says, where are you going? I'm going to figure out who's throwing all these kids in the river and fix that problem, right? Like we spend a lot of time focused myopically on the problem that's happening right now. And I'm seeing this even more today because as the financial pressures of the organizations are constraining down, it's much, we're, we're going, we have this propensity to look much more directionally at just what's happening right now and how do I fix it? We've got to take a vision toward what's going to happen in the future and look upstream and figure out how to, what's the root of this problem and how do we really solve it? 
That is a, a, a great place to, to land the conversation because I really, that's, that's what we're facing right now. We have to look at what are, what are the systemic level solutions that are going to, that are going to re- lead to real transformation at the end of the day. Um, because Absolutely. we can't keep it going the way it is. It ha- we need some fundamental different ways of doing things. And we need leaders who have the courage to not just put out fires, but to look at the things that are going to be truly transformational and, uh, and change the way it's done because the system has to move and Absolutely. we all know it. We all wrangle it every day. But what an amazing opportunity we all have to participate in that and to potentially, if we're successful, be able to look back in a handful of years and say, I helped make that happen. Yeah, it's true. I mean, the good news is, from my perspective, I'm starting to see solutions emerge. I'd say Artisite is one of them that truly have an opportunity to, to lead to enormous, fundamentally good transformational change at the level it needs to happen to preserve the system. And, and that to me is encouraging. It's been a while, you know, it, it, I feel like the clouds are starting to part a little bit and we're starting to see how, okay, here's how technology can really make a difference instead of just adding complexity, which has been so true of so much of the stuff that's happened in the last decade. We're at the point now where, where some things are starting to cut through and, and that is an, it's an exciting moment. And I'm, I'm looking forward to how that manifests. And Stephanie, I am, I'm grateful to you, not just for joining us here, but for the part in the conversation that you're, you're being in that, you know, I I think your perspective and what I've seen in our, our time interacting and getting to know you, you're about that kind of change. And, and it's, and we need, we need more folks like you who have the courage to say, okay, here it is. And, and if we aren't gonna, if we aren't gonna jump in and make this happen, bad things are happening. And if we do jump in and make it happen, good things are going to result. So that's, uh, that's why I'm excited about what you have are on the trajectory to do now. And, uh, and really grateful for the opportunity to, uh, to have this conversation. So if you haven't already, uh, check out artisite.com, A-R-T-I-S-I-G-H-T.com, see what they're doing. It is really remarkable technology that they're bringing forward to change how clinicians are able to focus more of their energy at giving legitimate, important care that, you know, at the top of their license for uh, the people that are in the midst of episodes of care. Uh, I'm really excited to see what they're, they're having the opportunity to do. Again, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us here today on, on our humble little podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> happy to do it. Great to see you. Healthcare Market Matrix is a Ratio Original podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then jump over to healthcaremarketmatrix.com and subscribe. And we'd really appreciate your support in the form of a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. It does make a difference. Also, while you're there, you can become a part of the Healthcare Market Matrix community and get access to courses and content that's created just for you by signing up for Insights Squared, a monthly newsletter dedicated to bringing you the latest health tech marketing insights right to your inbox. Ratio is an award-winning marketing agency headquartered in the Nashville, Tennessee. We operate at the intersection of brand and growth marketing to equip companies with strategies to create meaningful connections with the healthcare market and ultimately drive growth. Want to know more? 
go to goratio.com. That's G-O-R-A-T-I-O.com. And we'll see you at noon central next week for an all new episode from our team at Ratio Studios. Stay healthy.